and Antarctica for church today. I appreciate that. It is cold and it doesn't feel like Florida, but I'm glad you made it today and I thank the Lord for that. Uh, what a wonderful uh, time we've had studying the life of Christ and I can't wait to continue it. In just a moment, I want to take a moment and thank uh, especially Tina uh, Yarbrough and Kayla for all their efforts and there were many others, but they worked especially hard at uh, having a fundraising yard sale for our teenagers and about $2,300 came in for the yard sale for our kids to go to camp and some other trips, so super excited about that. Uh, tomorrow morning, um, Goodwill will be coming by and picking up anything that wasn't taken, so there are some items in the youth center and some furniture items in the gym, and if you want to go through and uh, you can make a donation if you want to, if there's something you need, you're welcome to take it before we get rid of it tomorrow. So I'll just open up real quick right after church. If you want to go through there, um, that's great, okay? And, and I hope you will. And I know that uh, you'll be glad you did if, if there's something there that you need. Also, I just want to encourage you to keep praying, uh, particularly for really two weeks from right now, uh, we are having a special emphasis weekend on missions and outreach. Starts Friday night with a night of hope. And this is really, really turning out to be a, a tremendous event. The music is going to be fantastic, and also the speakers are going to really help us. And for people that struggle with uh, addictions or um, loss, grief, anxiety, depression, this, this night is going to really have a special emphasis for them. I was talking to one of our members earlier, and she said she's invited so many people, and not one person has given any negative. They all have said they were going to come and be a part of it. So we have a tremendous amount of people coming, and, and you just want to be here Friday night, two weeks from this past Friday at 6 o'clock right here in the auditorium. It's going to be a wonderful night. I really want to encourage you to get signed up on Eventbrite. You've seen lots of communication about this uh, because there are limited seating. And if you're not signed up, I'm probably just going to kick you out here, okay? Because we're going to have a volume of guests here, and, uh, and we want you to be here. But get a spot reserved. There's plenty of seats, but it would be nice if you get a, a seat reserved for you and your family because we can put more chairs in here if we need to. So that's Friday night. And then, of course, Sunday is our Missions Global Sunday where we're going to talk about our plan for the upcoming years as far as getting the gospel around the world, our financial commitments in your seats or in the seat back pocket in front of you. There's a financial commitment card. For those of you that are not familiar with this method of missions giving, it's what we do right now. It's not our long-term vision, and I'm going to share some of that on that Sunday. But for right now, the primary way that we give to outreach or global missions is through annual commitments. And uh, maybe if you're from more of a... a, a kind of maybe more traditional Baptist church. This happens a lot where people give commitments above and beyond their tithe um, to uh, support global evangelism. And so we've been doing that. Uh, some churches just do like a portion of their general fund, and that's fine. And that's ultimately a thing that I'd like to step in a direction to go. But for right now, uh, as we continue to build our resources, this is the way that we do this. So we really need you to pray about what God would have you to do. Maybe uh, maybe you have not begun to give at River City Baptist Church. That's okay, but this is a good time to start. Uh, obviously, if you've not begun to tithe or give generally that way, uh, we would really encourage you to do that first. That would be a priority. But then on top of that, if you have an opportunity to give uh, to missions, we would really encourage you to do that. Uh, you know, God, God is certainly worthy of 10% um, of, of our income. Somebody help me up here. I mean, I mean certainly that. Um, and I would, I would venture to say a lot more than that, as God has been good to us. And, and how many of you would agree, God's been far better to us than we deserve. And, 
and he's blessed us. And so uh, I want to encourage you to just be faithful. These guys had a basketball game today, huh? Right? Welcome to church, man. How'd it go? Okay. Did you guys win? Oh, you didn't play yet. Church first, right? Yeah, that's good. That's what I'm talking about. This is one of the AAU teams that we sponsor here uh, at the church. And then you guys be sure to get to know these young men. Some of these guys got saved last week. Thankful for that. And praise the Lord. And uh, we're going we're, we're gonna to have like a, we're going to have a, it's almost an impromptu, but it's not really, but it is sort of beach baptism next week at the youth activities. So uh, I'll tell you more about that this week. Some of these guys are going to get baptized at the beach. And I like that too. That's going to be great. And uh, if you've never been baptized and you need, to, you need to get baptized at the beach, it's awesome, okay? A wonderful experience, but uh, also just to declare to God and to the church our commitment to Christ. So I'm thankful for Asante and the work that he's doing. I appreciate you young men being in church today, and we're so glad for you guys being here. All right, let's go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. Man, today is one of those places in the Bible that you are just, it's a little overwhelming. It's... It's one of the most sacred uh, passages in all of the Bible. Uh, probably a lot of people uh, misunderstand it. They don't really know what happened, what in the world is going on here. And it's called the Mount of Transfiguration is, is the story. Where we are in the story is Jesus has been demonstrating who he is during his Galilean ministry. In other words, through miracles and signs... Jesus has been showing everybody that he is something very spectacular, obviously. Then, he has now brought his disciples to a place of confession. And just the chapter before, Peter has said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, he was right. Absolutely right about that. But now, Jesus is going to begin... That revelation with a small group, and this is going to continue to grow until ultimately Jesus is going to die on the cross, raised from the dead with the ultimate proof that he was who he said he was. But this text is Jesus showing who he was in a very small group. In fact, there were only three other people with him, Peter, James, and John. And the Bible says that Jesus, in verse number one, after six days, Jesus took Peter James and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish... Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now watch, I love this next verse. If you don't pick up on this, this is really special. While he was still speaking, that's Peter. While Peter is still waxing eloquent about the building program, about three tabernacles being built, while he's still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, watch this, they saw no one but Jesus only. Amen. Amen. 
This morning I want to preach to you on this subject, the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. To be honest with you, I feel like a five-year-old trying to explain calculus. Trying to understand calculus. To even say the word, the glory of Christ, is such a mouthful. It ought to just humble all of us that we're even talking about this. The glory of Christ. Who is Christ? What does it mean? Back a year or so ago, I was fortunate to be able to go by and see a friend and mentor, Dr. Tom Farrell, for the last time. I was invited to a meeting near Ocala, Florida, where his son and some of the pastors had called kind of an impromptu pastor's fellowship. Dr. Tom Farrell was advanced in brain cancer, and they knew that he was not going to be around much longer. And so I drove down one afternoon and just was overwhelmed stepping into this room where I saw this man who was such an amazing and powerful preacher for 40 years unable to put words together and his tongue drooping out of his mouth and uh, to just behold this scene. And there were Christian leaders from every place in the country and Christian colleges and college presidents and the impact of this man was extraordinary. And I, and I thank God for the influence that he had on my life and the, and, the, and the mentoring and the help that he gave me. And I was privileged to be there just a couple months later when he died I was privileged to drive up to North Carolina and be there at his funeral where, again, a church building was packed with some of the the greatest Christian leaders of our day. And I know there have been times where there are things that I've done that I've regretted, but I know that in this particular case, as I listened to his family give testimony, as I reminisced about the times that he had invested in me, his daughter gave an amazing speech called What It Was Like to Be Tom Farrell's Daughter, really really just elevating not only the preacher but the man and all the difference that he made in this life. And I think I could safely say that I'll carry some of those memories with me for the rest of my life. And in a, in a quite a literal sense, it was really good for me to be there. And I'm thankful that I was there. This is what Peter says in probably the greatest understatement of the century about his moment where he gets to see Jesus Christ for who he was as he is. And he says there uh, in verse number 4, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And what is it that he's talking about? What, What was demonstrated? What did he see? And I would like to suggest to you that the Bible tells us over in John's Gospel... Uh, Chapter number 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we, this is John speaking, beheld His glory. And then Peter later writes about the same experience in 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus. Watch this. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. They saw with their own eyes the Lord Jesus Christ manifested as the glorious Son of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. This was a special place, folks. A, a, a holy place. A place that all of us get to thank God visit today because God has recorded this story in His precious Word. 
Now, what is it about this story that was so magnificent? What was so majestic about this encounter? The first thing I want you to see is that the divine glory of Jesus is revealed in Matthew chapter number 17. The divine glory of Jesus is revealed. So we ask the question here, what is it that actually happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? Look again at verse number 2. And he was transfigured before them. Interestingly enough, the word, the Greek word translated transfigured here is the word metamorphosis, which literally means to change the form of or to change the appearance of. We've all heard of uh, the metamorphosis, the simple illustration of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, an ugly caterpillar encloses itself within a cocoon and goes through a transformation. It goes from a worm into a beautiful butterfly. It goes in having to crawl and comes out able to fly. It goes in as ugly and despised and it reappears as wonderfully beautiful. Now in some small measure, this is exactly what happened here on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was that who Jesus really was, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, the holy, eternal God of the universe is now going to be transformed so that who he was is actually seen by Peter, James, and John. Up until this moment, he appeared to be just another Jew, just another prophet, just another leader. In fact, Isaiah would say that he had no form or comeliness about him. That there was nothing desirable or attractive about Jesus Christ. However, up on this mountain, the glory of Jesus that was concealed inside of a human body is about to burst forth. And who Jesus was is going to be seen in full force by Peter, James, and John. And folks, you got to understand the magnitude of what is happening here. you got to understand, when Jesus became a man, when he was born through the womb of the Virgin Mary, at that moment in time, Jesus Christ began to be what before that time he never was. He became a man. But also at the same time, he continued to be what he always and eternally was, that is, God. And the book of Hebrews tells us that what this was, was it was a veil. Okay, the veil of Jesus was his flesh. Listen very carefully. Jesus Christ never stopped being God for one second when he became a man. Is anybody listening to me? He always has been, always will be, forever God. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God. He was, come on, he was God. He always will be God. But thank God for a season, for a moment, for about 30 years... The Bible says that God covered him, he veiled him in flesh so that he could be identified as a human like us. And because God does not die, he would be able and willing to die on the cross for our sins. And then after that, he was gloriously resurrected and ascended into the Father. But here we find him as a man veiled in flesh and yet fully, absolutely, and wonderfully God. And now, for this one moment, that veil is going to be pulled apart. 
And you're going to see the majesty. They were going to visibly actually see the majesty and glory of Jesus Christ. I love what one writer said. Essentially, this was not a new miracle, but watch this. It was a temporary cessation of an ongoing miracle. The real miracle is that Jesus, while he was on earth, was able to veil who he really was by his flesh. Or as Spurgeon said it like this, for Christ to be glorious was almost a less matter than for him to restrain or hide his glory. It is forever his glory that he concealed his glory and that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor. What I'm telling you today is that one minute they are standing there looking at the man, Jesus Christ, and the next second that veil is peeled back and they are standing face to face with the very son of the living God. And that is who I'm preaching to you about this morning. I'm preaching to you not about just a good historical figure. He was on the front of people or Time Magazine this week and it said this uh, how the life and teachings of Jesus and his sacrifice changed the world and I know what they're going to say they're going to say that he was a moral superior they're going to say that he taught a lot of neat things and, and shaped the world through his teaching I'm here to tell you friend he was much more than just a philosopher he was much more than just a creative teacher he was much more than a healer come on he was much more than a social worker or some kind of philosophical person he he was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Colossians 2.9. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus knew this. He said in John 8 verse 58. Before Abraham was, I am. He said, I've always existed. Hebrews claims it like this. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds all things by the, uh, in the universe by the word of his power. And after he made purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. Timothy, excuse me, Paul said this to Timothy. Great indeed is this that we confess that is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Hebrews, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And believe me, friend, you may not believe it now, but one day you will confess it. For the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We humble ourselves today to think that you and I get in on a little bit of glory. That we get to know him for who he is. Boy, I got to tell you, one of the dangerous things about being an American Christian, being familiar with church, is just that. You can become very familiar with sacred things. It's on your radio all the day long. It's on our podcast. It's on uh, our kids' Christian school uh, literature and curriculum or our homeschool curriculum. It's in our Sunday school classes and our morning worship services and everywhere in between. Bible teaching, Bible knowledge is inherent uh, to our culture. It's everywhere. It's Googleable. It's everywhere you can turn and find it. But I'm here to tell you, let's never stop marveling at the fact of who we worship today, who we sing about today, who I'm preaching about today, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the divine glory of Jesus is revealed. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is even more remarkable. The redemptive work of Jesus is affirmed. The redemptive work of Jesus is affirmed. Now look at this for just a second. It says here, 
in verse number 3. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with them. Interesting thing. And Elijah appear also, and they start talking to Jesus. Now, the question we have to ask here first is, why were Moses and Elijah there? And I've read so many things, and I've heard so much talk about this, but I do think that I believe this is a good representation of why they are there. It is fair to think of these two particular persons in the Old Testament appearing for two reasons. One, Moses represented the law, and Elijah represented the prophets. So when you come to the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus' glory is being revealed, there stands Moses, the law, giving witness to who he was, and there stands Elijah, the prophet, giving witness to who he was. So watch this. Every prophetic word in the scripture and every ounce of the law in scripture is pointing us to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God just allowed a miracle to occur here, not just that Jesus' glory was seen, but God allowed Elijah and Moses to stand there in front of Peter, James, and John and give a credible witness to who Jesus Christ was. Now, you got to be asking this question. Surely you ask this question. How are they there? How are they there? Well, why should this shock you? You're asking how are they there as if somehow dying is the end of it all for somebody that knows Christ. You ask how are they there almost like, like somebody dies and that's the end of the story. But i got to tell you, that's not the end of the story for a child of God. Doesn't this just serve as another reminder that those of us who are redeemed do not die and go to the grave only to wait for a resurrection in some intermittent period of cessation? Oh, no, no, friend. The Bible says absent in the body is present with the Lord. The Bible says in Philippians 1.23 that Paul had a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which was far better. Spurgeon again said, saints long departed are still alive in their personality. They are known by their name. And they enjoy access to Jesus forever. So, is it a miracle that Moses and Elijah appeared there with him? Well, yes. Should it surprise you that a Moses and Elijah were with him? Absolutely not. Friend, I'm here to tell you that the minute you draw your last breath on this life, you will wake up in the next life somewhere. Those that know Christ as their Savior will forever live in his presence. They, hey, they will live in an eternal mount of transfiguration before the glory of Jesus in the throne forever and ever and ever. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad today to know that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what the doctor tells you this week. It doesn't matter if you even make it home from church today because the minute you draw your last breath here, you're going to wake up in glory forever with Christ. That's what Moses and Elijah knew. And they were just coming to give witness of the fact that what he says about that is true. Now, I will say this to you. If you are here without Christ, death is something you should greatly fear. Because the Bible says without Christ, you will perish. 
You will die in your sins. You'll be separated from God in a terrible place that is called hell. Listen very carefully, friend. Those without Christ who die do not get the promise of eternal life as Moses and Elijah or anybody in the church does. No, there is the promise of eternal death and separation. You've no doubt heard this before, but uh, when Billy Graham was still alive and preaching, he famously quoted D.L. Moody in one of his sermons, and he said, I quote, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. Have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of the Lord. And there Billy Graham stands tonight with Moses, with Elijah, and with everybody else that's gone on before us in Christ. And I'm here to tell you, I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? But then there's this one other issue I want to address. What did they talk about? Did you see verse 3? They're talking. What are they talking about? I'm glad to tell you that I do not have to speculate on what they were talking about because Luke chapter 9 verse 32 tells us exactly what they were talking about. Listen, here's what they're talking about in verse 32. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw, excuse me, uh, verse 31, I read the wrong verse. And behold, two men talked with them, that's Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke, watch this, of his decease. Which he was about to accomplish. Y'all better help me now. What did they talk about? You know what the Greek word is here? Translated decease in your Bible. I love it. Exodon. Does that sound like anything else that ever happened in the Bible? The Exodus. And who's he talking to? Moses? And what are they talking about? They're talking about you know what they're talking about. They're talking about the fact that Moses led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, crossed the Red Sea, headed toward the promised land. And he said, you're getting ready to have an exodus too, where you are going to lead your people out of bondage and into a promised land. You're going to decease. And I love this phrase here. We're talking about the fact that you're about to die. And then it says this, which he accomplished. When's the last time you heard somebody talk about death in the sense of you accomplished something? Like you won an award, like you achieved something. Like, no, no, we always think of death as the end, like it's over. That's the finality. That's the, hey, that's not what Jesus' death was, friend. Jesus' death was not the end of it all. Jesus' death was the purpose for it all. And when he was on the cross, what did he say? Yeah, we plaster it up here every Sunday so you can read it every time you come to church and never forget about it. It's not just a fancy slogan cute for pictures it is finished is what it was all about it is finished was that he died it is a finished is what he accomplished it is finished was the the finality of all the plans of God in Christ that's what they were talking about on that cross the redemptive work of Jesus was affirmed finally the unrivaled supremacy of Jesus was declared the unrivaled supremacy of Jesus was declared. Boy, we need to pray that God would wake us up out of our sleep so that we will see Jesus for who he is. And that's what was happening in Luke 9.32. While all this is taking place, get this, in Luke 9.31, Moses and Elijah and Jesus are standing on the Mount of Transfiguration talking about the Exodus. And guess what Peter's doing during this glorious moment? Sleeping. 
sleeping. Hmm. I don't see anybody sleeping this morning, but I can't tell you how many times metaphorically I've seen people yawning. As if there's a bigger deal to you than what I'm talking about right now. Yeah, you're yawning. You're yawning Monday through Saturday like you got something else important to live for than this. Are you kidding me? There's something else more important than what I'm talking about. You're over there sleeping. You're snoozing Monday through Friday. You're snoozing on Saturday. You're rocked to sleep as if your life and your job and your career and whatever else thing you got. Hey, there's nothing more important than what I'm talking about this morning. He is God. God, wake us up. Wake us up and give us a vision to see that you are the only thing that matters. Boy, Peter, what a, what a mistake he makes here. Lord, it is good for us to be here. You know, if he'd have stopped right there, it would have begun. How many of you have said one more sentence more than you should have said before? Boom, if you just cut it off right there, it would have been great, but not here. Oh, no. Lord, it's good for us to be here. That would have been enough. That would have been right. It would have been good. But no, no, no. Oh, no. Lord, let's go ahead and build three tabernacles here, one for you, a dwelling place for you and for Elijah. And by the way, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I, I, we always give Peter a hard time, but it kind of makes sense. Like, this is quite a moment. Like, wouldn't you want this to live on? Just, let's just, hey, let's just settle down here. Forget about the world that's dying and going to hell. Let's just, let's, just, let's just forget about the cross. Let's just forget about what you're going, where you're going. Let's just stop right here and build a tabernacle. Kind of like a lot of church people. Let's just sit in our pews. Let's just not get out of our box. Let's just not go tell anybody about Christ. Let's just stay kind of where we are. This is comfortable. This is, this is nice. This is, this is great. Everything's cool. Got my little family. Got the little matching bows. And we got a little SUV. We kind of got our little thing going on. Okay. Yeah, but, but, but it's, it is good for us to be here, but. We're not going to stay here. So then, so then while Peter's waxing eloquently about this building program, God the Father sends a cloud. Isn't that interesting? A cloud just like they did in Exodus. The cloud cover, the manifest presence of God now, comes out in the middle of Peter's little speech and speaks and says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Just like he did at his baptism, Matthew chapter 3. And he's, he, basically, he basically shows up and says, you missed it, guys. Jesus is not just another Elijah. Jesus is not just another Moses. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then I love in verse number 6, where, or verse 7, or well, where is it? Verse, oh my goodness. Verse number 8, excuse me. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus. He's the only thing that mattered there. Can I just say this too? Because it, it, it spoke to me this week, and I think it'd be worth you hearing this too. You need to be reminded that while spiritual leaders are helpful to point you to Jesus, they are not on the same level as Jesus. Lord, help us all. You say, what would we do if Pastor left? Well, what I hope you would do is keep on marching on. That's what you should do. Leaders come and go. Moses came and went. Elijah came and went. Don't get excited. This is not an announcement. But I'm here to tell you that there's no spiritual leader, no preacher, no pastor, no teacher 
that should ever be elevated to a place of worship, preeminence to a place of prominence even. Man, I'm just a servant friend. All I'm doing is standing here at the doorway, swinging the door open, saying, there's the door. Go ahead and walk in. There is nothing that I have. There's no saving power that I have. There's no magic that I have. There was nothing spectacular about Moses and Elijah. They're all gone. They're all dead. But there was something special about that son who would live forever and ever. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. At the end of the day, he's the only one that really matters. Exactly what Colossians says in Colossians chapter number 1. And it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created by, through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Watch it. That in all things He might have the preeminence. You know, the disciples are confused about this, obviously. Sometimes we just, we miss what is so obvious. I mean, look what happens in verse number 9. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Now, they came down from the mountain. Jesus commanded them, saying, tell no one until the Son of Man is risen from, tell nobody the vision until the Son of Man is risen from the dead, which they do. They write about it after he's risen from the dead. And we know, we know that there was this, this, this secret that Jesus was Keeping and letting it out incrementally for people to know why. Because they were so confused about who Jesus was and why he came that if he let it all out, they'd all go crazy and try to make him king just like they did in John chapter number 6. These people didn't get it. Even the disciples didn't get it. Verse 11, or excuse me, verse 10. Why then does the scribe say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered said, indeed Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Meaning, these guys thought Elijah was going to come and bring in the Messiah. And there was going to be this amazing takeover of the planet and the world. And he says, no, no, no. Elijah's already come. Now, what he's referring to there is Malachi chapter 3, verse number 1. And Malachi chapter 4, and verse number 5, where the Bible tells us that, 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 that Elijah is going to bring, be the voice that prepares the way for the Lord. Now, it says in verse number uh, 13, they then finally understood, right, that he was talking about John the Baptist. So when he said Elijah's coming, he was referring to Malachi. They didn't understand Malachi, obviously. So they're thinking, Eli they're thinking Elijah now has come on the Mount of Transfiguration. That means the kingdom's coming. They blew it. They missed the whole thing. Well, get, listen, people miss stuff about Christ all the time. Don't let that be you. Don't miss the obvious today. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again from the dead. Jesus offers eternal life to anybody that would believe. That's obvious. And it wasn't the first, or excuse me, the last time that his glory would be manifest. Wasn't it manifest again at the resurrection? Wasn't it manifest when he came up alive from the dead? Wasn't it manifest when he ascended up to glory some days later in front of his disciples? And by the way, it won't be the last time that his glory was manifest because uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. The glory of Christ. Let's pray together.